You're listening to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast, serving the latest news in sci-fi multimedia. And now, your hosts, Scott, Miles, and M. Your table is ready. Live long and prosper. This is the captain. We have a little problem with our entry sequence, so we may experience some slight turbulence and then explode. I got a bad feeling about this. Walter, put the cow away, would you? What is this place? It's a freak show. Ladies and gentlemen, we are at Shore Leave 36, and we are hanging out with sci-fi novel author Mr. Michael Jan Friedman. Uh, has written many in, in novels uh, in, in the Star Trek universe, but has written so much more also. We're going to talk about that today. Uh, Mr. Friedman, welcome, and thank you for taking time to talk with us on the Sci-Fi Diner podcast. Well, it's it's my pleasure. And uh, my pleasure, too. I've, I've read many uh, – I'm sure I've read all of your – all the novels you've written in, in the Star Trek uh, universe, and I've enjoyed every one of them. Well, thank you. Thank you. Uh, you know, uh, it's it's good to hear that you enjoyed all of them, <laughs> which is better than me because I'm my reading in Star Trek is very minimal. Uh, I mean, you know, I Miles got me into the Star Trek universe probably about three years ago, and I've watched a fair amount of the series, but haven't read a ton of the novels, so I'm way behind. You have a lot of work to do. I have like the first ninety nine pocketbooks sitting on my shelf. I picked them up at garage sale somewhere. So I'm going to read these. I haven't started them yet, but we'll get there. So, and I, some of them I think are by you. Probably, probably quite a few. I think I think at one time I'd written ten percent of the Star Trek books that had that had come out. That that number has since changed. But. Okay. Okay. <laughs> awesome. Um, what 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 first got you into, into science fiction to begin with? It's a good question. Um, you know, I was always um, a fan of science fiction. Uh, initially, I think in comic books, that was, those were the, the, the first um, first things that I read that contained science fiction. I really liked that. I went on to read uh, prose science fiction. You know, when I was six or seven, and uh, and I always loved it. To me, it was it was the literature of ideas. You know, you could get good characters in in any medium in any in any genre but um but i always look to science fiction for ideas that's what really stimulated me awesome now how about as a writer what got you into being a writer itself i'm an english teacher so i'm fascinated by people that get into writing and especially in the, my creative writing courses um you know nurturing young writers i like to find out kind of the background what made you say you know what i want to write this stuff I think it was reading, uh, writing that I admired. You know, um, it, it, you know, when I read, uh, initially Edgar Rice Burroughs and, and, uh, Ray Bradbury, uh, Poole Anderson, uh, guys like that, I, I read that stuff and I said, I want to do that. I want to make up those stories. Um, I didn't think I'd ever really do it, but, but, uh, but that's what I wanted to, to do. It wasn't, it wasn't a choice. It wasn't a, you know, a conscious decision. It was a, it was a passion for that. And I, and, and if, if nobody paid me to do it, I would still do it. Um, it, you know, it, it was almost like an addiction. And you're still addicted. I'm still addicted. Yeah. Well, tell us about the uh, – so the first story that you ever went and got – that, that, that was ever sold. Tell us about that experience for you. Well, 
um, I wrote a book um, uh, called The Hammer and the Horn. Um, it was really an homage to uh, um, books I'd read by Roger Zelazny, books about gods. Um, nobody did it the way he did. And, um, um, you know, it's funny. When we, um, when we as English teachers, because I'm an English teacher as well, yes, I am, um, uh, when we as English teachers um, look over the work of our students, we, we tend to say, oh, don't, no, that's not original. That's not original. I want you to do original work. If we were talking to uh, kids who wanted to be blacksmiths, we would never say, no, don't do it that way. Don't do it the way he does it. You know, you're an apprentice. It's very legitimate to be an apprentice to a writer, to say, that's a writer I admire. I want to write the way he does. And I think, it, you know, again, it's legitimate. There's nothing wrong with it. And then as you do it, you develop your voice. But in the meantime, I think it's it's good to to apprentice yourself. And I think I apprenticed myself to Zelazny, to Roger Zelazny, um, who is a terrific Hugo and Nebula Award-winning writer. And um, uh, The Hammer and the Horn was about Scandinavian mythology, but it was sort of inspired by his books. And I went on to write uh, two more books, and it became a trilogy, um, The Seekers and the Sword and The um, Fortress and the Fire. And uh, shortly after that, my agent came to me and said, you know, I was talking to the editor of the uh, Star Trek publishing program. Would you, would you ever write a Star Trek book? And I went, what? what are you kidding me? You know, put words in the mouths of Kirk and Spock. And I had actually read a couple of Star Trek uh, novels at that point. And, and it was, uh, you know, I'd enjoyed them by, by Ann Crispin and Howie, Howie Weinstein. And I said, sure, I'd love to do that. So I submitted an outline to Dave Stern, who is the editor of the uh, program at the time. And, um, and he hated it. <laughs> Because it was, you know, it was about like, uh, you know, I, I was into mythology, so it was kind of into, you know, it was uh, sort of um, a Welsh mythology and Scottish mythology, and you know, and I had Scotty uh, involved. And it was really much more of a fantasy than science fiction. And they said, no, 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 we we want some science fiction. So I wrote him another outline, and it was kind of based on um, uh, the episode "What a Little Girl's Made of." Uh, it kind of picked up where that episode left off, and uh, that one he really liked. He really liked it, except uh, I had left the ending off the outline, and uh, and I and he said, "Mike, you left the ending off." And I said, "Well, I didn't want to, you know, ruin it for you." <laughs> so he said, "No, no, no. It's my job for it to be ruined for me. You're supposed <laughs> to ruin it for me. I want to know how it ends." And and by the way, I have to send it to. Um, to Paramount to be approved. So we need the ending. So I said, all right. So I wrote the ending. They sent it to Paramount and Paramount loved it. And so we had a book. We were going. Um, uh, the problem was after I wrote the manuscript, uh, you know, um, uh, currently and, and, and for most of, of my association with Star Trek publishing, um, I, uh, uh, there was one, one voice at Paramount as far as uh, approvals. And um, uh, and that was the licensing department. But when I first started out, there was also there was also Gene Roddenberry's office. Now Gene didn't necessarily read the books, but he had someone who did. And 
um, we got a fax from, from that guy. And he said, um, he said, uh, you've got to take Chekhov out of the book. I said, why? Why do you have to take Chekhov out of the book? And he wouldn't communicate by phone. It was only by fax. And in those days, faxes were like torpedoes, you know, yeah, and, and they went around for five minutes before the message went through. And he only read the faxes once a day. So the next day we sent him back a fax saying, why? Why do we have to take Chekhov out? And he said the next day, we sent us a fax, check your star date. Now we had a memo on the, on the wall at Pocketbooks from Roddenberry from years earlier saying, you know, um, I made up these star dates as I went along, ignore them. Nonetheless, he was telling me, look at the Stargate, uh, at the star date. So I looked at it and we sent him a, a fax the next day and we said, all right, so let's get this straight. We can take Chekhov out and, and eliminate 10 pages of dialogue or we can change the star date. And he said the next day came, yeah. <laughs> so we changed exactly one numeral and preserved 10 pages of dialogue. Anyway, so, uh, but, but, you know, um, had, I actually had a lot of fun and a lot of cooperation from, from Paramount, um, from that point on. And the name, and the name of that first book was? Uh, Double Double. Double Double. Um, and, uh, I think it came out in 19, I want to say 1988. And, uh, I went on to do other books. Uh, I started doing some Next Generation books because the Next Generation came out shortly after that. And uh, I did the first Next Generation hardcover, which was called Reunion, which was about uh, Picard uh, being reunited um, with um, his original crew from the Stargazer. And, uh, and uh, a murder mystery unfolds. Uh, so that was a lot of fun. And, and because that was well-received, I was able to do more Stargazer stories in the form of comics and, and uh, short stories and eventually a six-book uh, six uh, limited Stargazer series. Well, that's awesome. Now you mentioned you wrote the, the um, uh, you know, this for hardback as well. Is there a difference when you write for a hardback? Well, there are. It has to be a bigger story to be considered. It's 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 hardcover, softcover. That's that's the contract. But it has to be a bigger story for them to consider doing that. Um, so some of my hardcovers, you know, with the real story behind Kalos, or. Um, uh, a, a story that illuminated the, the life of, um, Leonard McCoy. Um, or let's see what other, uh, or, or something. Uh, I wrote a story called Death in Winter, which took place after the, um, the, uh, after the Next Generation series and some of the movies and people were wondering, uh, now that the, now that everything was over, the movies and the series, what was going to happen to the characters? And we kind of let it leak out that we might be killing a major character. And on the cover, we had um, Beverly Crusher in shadow. It was obvious it was her, but it was in shadow, and we kind of teased the audience a little bit. And and um, uh, there was a death in there, but it wasn't uh, certainly wasn't Beverly Crusher. But but we uh, we kind of you know teased the audience, and and as a result, I got death threats. I got death threats, letters. You know, don't you dare kill Beverly. You kill her, I'll kill you. You know, I mean, so so you know you got something going when you get death threats. Yeah, right, right. 
I think what it shows is that fans care enough to about the characters that we've grown to love that they don't want anything happening to them. And, and to tell you the truth, I don't blame them. You know, um, there's a philosophy. I know uh, Marco Palm- Palmieri, when he was working uh, with the Star Trek books, his philosophy was, if it's a good story, I'm going to publish it, regardless of whether it conflicts with something that's been published earlier or maybe something that appeared in the animated show or something like that. But to m- my philosophy is you have to maintain a seamless world. And therefore, even if you have a great story, if it conflicts with another story that you told, I don't think you should run it. I think I think you should try to be consistent and seamless. That's my personal take. And there's a little bit there with uh, when people talk canon and non-canon stuff and how the movie franchise and the TV shows treat that. Obviously, uh, you're, you're talking more in the story and the novelizations, I assume. Right. You know, they used to call um, what we did Star Trek fiction and what you saw on the screen Star Trek fact. That's that's how they distinguished. Um, But uh, uh, and 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 we always envied the the Star Wars writers because what they they wrote was canon. Well, not anymore. (laughs) Not not anymore. Definitely. Definitely. You've read both for original series and next gen. Do you have a preference? Which one or, or which one do you like the better out of the two? Well, I like them both. I think, I think if I, if I could only write one, hmm, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. I, I might just, I don't know. I might just write original series. I mean, that was what got me hooked originally. I saw the first episode. You know, I sat there in my pajamas and watched the first episode. I'm that old. And, uh, and, uh, I, and, and it was a long, long time. I was well out of college before I ever saw an episode a second time. I didn't, I don't, I, and even now I very seldom watch a movie a second time. I just, I'd rather watch a different movie. Um, and, um, uh, so I watched the whole first series as it came out. I didn't miss an episode. And then when The Next Generation came around, I tried not to miss an episode. But thank God by then we had VCRs. Um, But I think think if I had – I love both series. But if I had to choose, I think maybe it would be original, original series. And and what about the original series uh, captures you other than than maybe the nostalgia of being the first Star Trek you saw? Well, I think think it's that – that idea that you would boldly go. They went boldly. They didn't always go intelligently, but they sure went boldly. And, uh, and their spirit of exploration was really, um, was really stirring and inspiring. And, and, and frankly, it, it kind of, there was a comic book element to it. And comic books were my first love, and and I kind of saw that comic book element in in uh, the way uh, uh, original series uh, episodes unfolded. Next generation, I love. You know, I have a I have a portrait of Picard in my office at home. I don't have one of Kirk because I love Picard. I mean, he's 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 thoughtful. He's he's conscientious there's you know he's he's a very admirable human being and as i get older i tend to identify with him more but um uh but i think uh if i could be some one of those characters i think kirk would be the one i'd be 
Very cool. Very cool. What's I mean, as, as ready for Star Trek, you had the opportunity to play in somebody else's sandbox. That could be great, but there's got to be some challenges and constraints. Uh, what, what, what were those for you? For me, not that many, frankly, uh, much less than for others. I mean, if you talk to some of my, my colleagues, uh, they'll tell you, oh, my God, I had to get around this and get around that. But I really very, very seldom did I come across anything that I couldn't, you know, work out reasonably. There were, ve- there were very few things I, I did that or wanted to do that I couldn't do because Paramount said no. It, the only times really would be if, if I wanted to do a, um, story that they were, that was already in development, you know, and that would come up a lot. In, in, in fact, when I wrote the Next Generation comic, it came up all the time. I'd give them six plots and they'd bounce three back and say, can't tell you why, but we can't let you do these. <laughs> right, right. And I'd go, go, yeah, well, we there you go. I know why. But, uh, but you know, but I, I wrote a Next Generation, I mean, uh, a Voyager episode, um, called Resistance. I co-wrote that. And, um, you know, I had already pitched, I probably pitched 30 plot ideas before they approved one. And even that is beating the odds by, by a light year. Cause they, they heard a thousand pitches every year and a thousand story ideas and they accepted something like three. So to get one of them approved was, was, was really something. But it just shows you how many of all the people who are pitching, they heard the same ideas over and over and over again. Cause it just, if you have the same premise and you develop from that point, you know, you're going to get a lot of the same ideas. Now, actually, you know, uh, I want to talk about publishing for a right. second, right? You know, in publishing, you, that's, that's sort of what you see a lot in publishing. You see the same ideas developed over and over and over again. And, and some people do them very, very well, but you don't see a lot of people breaking the mold. Um, a few years ago, I saw an opportunity to break the mold. I said, you know, publishers are playing it closer and closer to the vest and, and you can't blame them because the economy is bad. Um, their, um, people aren't reading as much. They have to be careful if they're going to make a profit. And so we, um, uh, some guys and I got together and, uh, and we formed a publishing consortium called Crazy Eight Press. And at Crazy Eight Press, we, um, we try to publish books that other publishers can't. Uh, I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, I wanted, to, I, I, I approached an editor at Del Rey some years ago with an idea for a 21st century Aztec empire noir murder mystery, sort of an alternate timeline and a mystery that took place there. And she goes, I love that idea. I love these plots. These are great. I can't buy them. She goes, nobody, you can, if I tried to give this to, to a bookstore buyer, he'd laugh in my face. He doesn't know what it is. He doesn't know where to put it in the store. He's not going to buy it. But I love him. And if you do publish him, send me a copy. So, so, um, that was one of the, one of the, uh, ideas that I thought, Hey, I thought, Hey, it's a great idea, but traditional publishers won't buy this. Uh, my colleague, Peter David, um, had an idea to write a humorous vampire story. Um, and the publisher said, well, you can't. And one reason is you're a guy. It's got to be a girl. 
and your protagonist is a guy, and that's not good. It's got to be a girl. And the other thing is it's funny. It can't be funny. It's got to be serious. And he goes, so, but, but it's a good story. They go, sure, it's a great story, but we can't do it because it's not, it's not the mold that, that we've got to, that we've got to put it in. And we can't take that chance. We can't take that chance. Their decisions more and more are based on, um, on, uh, um, financial issues. Uh, more than, than they used to be. They were always, they're businesses, so they always wanted to make a profit, but, um, they're much more concerned now about, uh, the return on their investment than developing, uh, readerships. So, um, because of that, we formed, uh, some other writers and I, um, formed a group called Crazy Eight Press. And what we try to do is come up with, um, Ideas that other publishers won't touch, go for a more discerning readership, and uh, and uh, come out with books that appeal to that that kind of readership. And we sell our books on Amazon and on BarnesandNoble.com, and at conventions and and so on. And uh, and we're having we're having a good time. It's it's really been uh, been very gratifying. Um, uh, I've not only come out with, um, some original books, uh, Fight the Gods is an original contemporary fantasy, um, that with its roots dug deep into Greek mythology, that's been a lot of fun. Um, that Aztec, 21st century Aztec murder mystery is, uh, at my Astlon books. Um, and, uh, last year I, uh, I did a Kickstarter for a book, uh, called I Am the Salamander, right? And, um, and, uh, uh, that'll be released soon. It's about a teenage, teenager, teenage cancer survivor who becomes a superhero. Um, and there I, I, I thought one of the things that I, that I did that I, I was really happy about is I was able to capture the, um, the horror of becoming a superhero. If you look at Fantastic Four number one, they were horrified when they when they realized they had these they had transformed they were horrified they were they were scared they were angry they were what the hell happened to us and uh so that uh, that's something I wanted to capture and then right now I'm working on um on a book which will also be the subject of a kickstarter called um lost days and lost days is uh it's a book about it's an adventure that turns on the Gregorian calendar. Well, I bet you've seen a lot of those, right? <laughs> the Gregorian calendar. It's original. It's actually an original. When do you ever see an original book, right? So um, it's a book that turns on the Gregorian calendar. And um, uh, I can't tell you too much about it right now. But in a month or two, you'll you'll see the Kickstarter. And um, it, there's a little time travel in it. There's a lot of history in it. It's funny. It's scary. And, um, and it's, uh, it's meant to appeal to kids because the kids that I teach are very, uh, socially and emotionally challenged, not necessarily intellectually, but they're very challenged. Um, they're troubled kids. And these are the kids I want reading books. So that's the kind of book I'm going to publish. That's awesome. Now here at Shorely, we're at Shorely of this year, Crazy 8 Press, have anything special planned this week, this weekend? This weekend, we're releasing uh, an anthology called um, 
Tales of the Crimson Keep. And uh, the Crimson Keep, uh, we, we did, when we first came, uh, came out with uh, Crazy 8 Press, uh, when we first announced it, we did it at Shoreleaf three years ago. It's hard to believe it's been three years, right? Um, and uh, what we did is a stunt. We did a, a tag team writing stunt where we got a, a premise, of just a line really, on Friday night. And starting Saturday morning, we sat down and in tandem worked uh, on a story. We just started – I started writing it. Then somebody else sat down next. Somebody else sat down. And uh, we took turns and we wound up with a 10,000-word story that actually hung together, amazingly enough. It was fun watching it come together. Do you remember walking by their station and watching them write? Because you guys did that all in public. Yeah. Yeah. We had uh, we had a um, laptop and the laptop was attached to a monitor that was turned out. So as we're typing or retyping or whatever we were doing, it was visible to the um, – to whoever was walking by. So it was sort of like watching a writer in Macy's window. And, uh, right. And so we, um, uh, so we actually came up with a 10,000 word story that actually worked and it was good. And we, we posted it, um, uh, we made it available through Amazon and Barnes and Noble for, uh, to raise money for the comic book legal defense fund. Well, we said, you know what? What are we going to do this year? This year we came up, we came out with an anthology. Based on that story. So we have, uh, six or seven new stories to go with that first one, all based on the characters that we came up with on the fly. So that was kind of cool. And, and that's what we're, we're releasing, uh, this weekend. So what, for you, what are some, uh, we gotta let you go here because you meet the pros here in a little bit. What are some future books that you have coming out? And, uh, and then where can we find the books that you have out? Crazy 8 Press online and all that. Well, uh, you can go to crazy8press.com. We're, we're actually uh, fine-tuning our website, uh, but it's it's certainly functional. And uh, crazy8press.com uh, to find uh, all the books that, that we uh, come out with. Um, what are we working on? Well, as I said, I'm working on Lost Days. I'm also re-releasing those first three books books uh scandinavian mythology books that um that i wrote so the second one will come out about december january something like that uh i know uh peter david is re-releasing his um uh sir apropos of nothing books um uh through crazy eight and um that'll be uh that'll be in the next six months sometime in the next six months um uh, Aaron Rosenberg is working on, um, his third Duck Bob book, which is very funny. Um, Russ Colchimiro, um, is working on a sequel to his science fiction backpacking book, uh, Finders Keepers. Um, and let's see, uh, um, Bob Greenberger and Glenn Howman and Paul Kupperberg are also working on stuff I can't talk about yet. But um, but we're all very busy, and uh, we uh, we would enjoy having anybody come and visit the website. And is there a website that you run for other work that you've done that's apart from Crazy Eight? Um, well, I do have a website. It doesn't have anything uh, uh, separate from Crazy Eight, but it's MichaelJanFriedman.net. Well, thank you so much for sitting down and chatting with here us here at Shortly about Star Trek writing and just getting into it in Crazy Eight Press. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for visiting the Sci-Fi Diner. 
We hope you enjoyed the food, the service, and the conversation. If you'd like to share your thoughts regarding what we've talked about, or tell us what you're watching or reading, flip open your communicators and contact us at 1-888-508-4343 or click the SpeakPipe link at SciFiDinerPodcast.com or send an MP3 or typed email to SciFiDinerPodcast at gmail.com. You can also join the conversation on our Facebook fan page at Facebook.com slash SciFiDiner. We'll share your thoughts on our listener feedback show. If you'd like to support the diner beyond the conversation, you can always throw some coins in the tip jar at sci-fi diner podcast.com. <laughs>